Welcome to On Living, the Trauma and Beauty of Being Human with Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Have you ever asked yourself what it means to be human? What does it mean to be fully alive? What does it take to love, to really connect with another human being? How do we fully engage with and honor the humanity in us? It's time to really talk, listen to, and connect with one another. Come join in the conversation with your host, Dr. Leanne Nguyen. Hello there. This is Leanne Nguyen, and I'm very glad that you're joining me again. Glad to have your interest still in the questions that I pose. What makes us human? How do we stay human? How do we reveal ourselves to one another? How do we capture and behold each other's humanity? This has been the thread of the show, which is now one week away from ending. I started out with a question of what makes us human, and I'm ending up with the question of how do we remain human to ourselves, to one another? How do we find and reveal our humanity? I have been making the case throughout this year for the ethical and the existential importance of posing these questions. We need to pose these questions so as we can live and love better with more kindness and tenderness towards each other. We need to behold these questions so that we can find the reasons or reminders to stop killing one another because we are, you know, literally physically, but also economically, politically, and spiritually. And I believe that embedded in any real deep question is the quest. The particular question that you agree to ask yourself helps set you on a particular path towards your life and towards other people. There is a profound difference for example, with profoundly different consequences to your living, behaving, loving. Difference between the question of, for example, what will make me happy? How do I succeed? Versus how do I exist as a human being? What makes me human? The question that you ask yourself about your life, your work, your relationships, or the question that you ask of yourself It determines your quest in life because in posing the question, you agree to direct your attention to a particular place. You commit your intentionality to a particular act, the act of answering that question. And so you mobilize your resources toward a particular goal, that of answering and living out the answer to that question. And the answer to the question that you have engaged in will then inspire, incite, invite other questions, as well as involve particular companions in the questioning. The question that you agree to ask reveals who you are, what your desire or fear is, what you are willing to take on, who you're willing to become. The question reveals the speaker's interest and intention as you must have gathered from listening to my questions. What you wish to know gives others an indication of where you are right now, at this moment in your day, in your life. 
and an indication of where you seek to go emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, even physically into the next moment. You walk down the street, for example, and you see a man wailing, profound revelations in, for example, the person who asks, are you okay? Versus the next person who asks, what's wrong with him? You go on a date and you ask, what are you hoping for? While your date asks, what are you looking for? What you ask of another human being reveals who you are. It reveals your being. And the question that you ask permits the other person to reveal who she is. Or it can limit her in what she can reveal of her being. We reveal ourselves to one another constantly. When you answer a particular question, you reveal not just what you know, but also what you're willing to know or unwilling. When you take up a question from someone, you reveal the extent or the limit of what you have chosen to learn about, of what you have chosen to let yourself know, and you reveal what you are willing to find out. Take up another person's question. Try to engage in answering her question and see. And in doing so, you meet up with her history, her priorities, her ways of being. Ask a question and you reveal your history, your priorities, your fears, your desires. All right? So I'm saying that a question invites the other person into your humanity. Agree to answer a question and you intersect with the other person's life. You step into her humanity and thus you are altered because you have made contact. Think about what opens up in you when someone says, I'm not going to answer that question or I'm not interested in answering that question. Who cares? You know, we're so habituated to such refusals that we accept them as boundary setting, as Fifth Amendment rights, privacy, or a typical press conference with Donald Trump. (laughs) Uh, But it is nevertheless violent and disconcerting uh, to to, to receive that negation of the natural human connective tissue. The tissue that is made of the desire to connect with another person through curiosity, respect, and tenderness, and through the instinctive act of making meaning, sharing meaning, and co-creating meaning as a result of engaging with another human being in a real conversation. So I started this series with the question of what makes us human. That question led me to the question of how do we not dehumanize one another? How do we live in kindness with tenderness? In these questions, I know that I have revealed to you my woundedness, myself. The prophet Rumi said, the wound is where the light enters. He also said, Break your heart until it opens. That is, you won't find the light, the opening, the answer to your existence unless you make contact with life or make contact against life with other people or against other people. You won't take hold of your humanity until you break open, until you break through the limits and boundaries of your heart. And you won't connect with others' humanity unless you're willing to open your mind and break open your heart. We're born, we live, and we die. In between, what makes us human 
is that we need, depend on, and are connected to one another. What keeps us human is our willingness to acknowledge, to inhabit this fact. The fact that we humans are mortal. We die eventually. And that we are interconnected. That our survival and sustenance lie in our capacity to tend to the beauty and fragility of our humanness. We can destroy each other with cruelty or erase each other with indifference. We can also humanize each other by holding on to our desire and curiosity toward each other, by honoring, cherishing, expressing that desire, that curiosity, by letting it pump our heart, soften our soul, salt the words from our tongue, and push our fingers towards the lovely unknown face of the friend who stands before us. You know, when I say the friend, I use the the word to refer to any human being whom we encounter and whom we can potentially know and love and care for. I use the word the friend in the sense that is meant by the poet uh, Khalil Gibran who said, your friend is your needs answered. Let there be no purpose in friendship save the deepening of the spirit. Don't seek your friend with hours to kill. Seek him always with hours to live. For it is not his responsibility to fill your emptiness. Gibran said to us from the previous century, friendship is a sweet responsibility, never an opportunity. I heard his statement as a half observation, half prayer towards us his fellow human beings. Prayer, reminder, that we have a sweet responsibility towards one another, that we are not to treat one another as opportunities. But we do now. We have now evolved, or in my view, rather devolved into a culture of of opportunism, uh, into an ideology of, of commodification. Everything, every aspect of human existence in North America, at least, is reduced to a commodity. We pursue things because they are supposed to do uh, or, or render something back for us. Healthcare, education, art consumption, travel, food, uh, making food, eating food, <laughs> uh, doing physical activity, even parenting. Everything that we engage in, we do so now with knowledge and purpose. And I say that in italics. (laughs) We do everything with the knowledge of what that thing can do for us, how it can benefit us. We do everything with the purpose of acquiring that benefit, of securing the outcome that we are promised it will produce or that we think we need in order to make it. And every human relationship now is entered into and regulated as an opportunity. Isn't that what social media connection is? Isn't that what the whole online dating thing taps into and encourages and conditions us to think? To think of other human beings as opportunities, as finite commodities that are supposed to yield the benefit and gratification that are supposed to bring us to that place over there. 
And also, in this culture of apps and social media, of how-to workshops, of Googling the answer, we're conditioned to, to think that there is no mystery, nothing unknown, nothing uncontrollable, unpredictable to the person or the experience in this life, because it is just a commodity that we can grasp or an opportunity that we can bank on. And, you know, if God forbid, if we ever bump up against an outcome that we had not predicted or cannot control, well, we can press delete or look up the refund exchange policy. (laughs) And of course, thank God, there are legions of lawyers so that we can sue for reparation or grief counselors or, you know, the, the psychopharmacology folks or Yelp reviews, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that common saying of you get what you ask for is applicable here to what I'm talking about. What I mean is the answer that you get is determined by the question that you ask. The connection that you can make is determined by the question, the contact that you put forth. The path that you choose to chart for yourself through this life determines the connections that you can encounter along the way and then the destination where you end up. That is what the Buddha meant by karma. That is what is meant by, I think, Heraclitus, the character is destiny. The, the Greek guy, I'm, I may be butchering his name. Character is destiny. Cause, effect. I'm just elaborating with an emphasis on the dimension of our connection, our connectedness to one another. You get what you ask for. You determine the answer by the question that you ask. I'm calling your attention to the fact that the connection which we can weave with another human being, the opening and private treasures which we can access in another person, it is all an effect of the curiosity that we put into the contact, of the courage and generosity that we put into the question towards the other person, towards the potential friend. Think about the typical questions that chart our path towards another person. What can you do for me? How can I get that from you? Are you the right person for me? Are we going to get there? Are we on? Are we off? Are we steady? I have had um, people who declined to spend time with me socially because, quote, honestly, I'm too busy and can't handle more friendships, you know? And yet later on would send me a request uh, uh, on my LinkedIn or Facebook thing, you know, a request that said, please add me to your network or I'd like to be your friend. What the fuck? I know I'm missing something here. If I'm, I feel so bamboozled and so worked up about these requests, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not missing out on anything by having this reaction. Think about what path would open up with if we ask instead, who are you? How will you change me? How will you let me make an impact on you? How are you living out your humanness? I like to learn to love you. May I ask that you learn to know me and love me? You know, people that I work with in my practice look at me like I'm crazy when I suggest these questions. You know, nobody can say that. Come on. 
I mean, why not? Why doesn't anybody say these questions out loud to another person, even though they recognize the longing in the question once I say that out loud? Nobody asks these questions out loud because these questions would reveal too much about the speaker. And I'm told, oh my God, Dr. Nguyen, you know that I cannot afford that risk. And also, because God knows where these questions would land in the other person, right, if you ask them. God knows what would come back. I'm told, Dr. Nguyen, what if I can't handle what he says in return if I ask these questions? How has it become that to allow another human being to see our insights now constitutes a mortal risk? How is it that the quest of making contact with another person now means putting oneself at risk for a little death, at risk for being inappropriate, overwhelming, or crazy? The questions that we ask each other reveal what we can do with each other, what we can know of, and how much we can desire and take from each other. The questions and the longings that we bring into the contact with other human beings determine who we are and who we can be with, who we can be to, who we can be for each other. There is a difference between asking, for example, what do you do for a living versus what makes your work meaningful or joyful? How did you meet your wife versus why did you choose her? How do you fit into her life? Or how do we make more money versus how do we live and die well? Imagine what kind of conversations would emerge from these questions. And this is why the parameters of how we make contact, how we connect with each other, meaning the intention, the purpose, the degree of curiosity, the kind of desire and fear that we bring into the question, into the conversation, these things matter enormously, even on a micro level, in determining what we can take from each other, and thus in shaping who we can become, one tiny, teeny little bit at a time. They also incrementally culturally shape our idea of what is appropriate or inappropriate, of who is crazy or authentic, of what we can long for and ask for and get from other human beings. Let me take a break for now and I will resume in a couple of minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world. 
across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. All right, I'm back. You know that I'm not a professional broadcaster or a public figure. I didn't even know uh, when I I said yes to doing this radio thing that I was doing a podcast. I don't even know what that is now, but apparently everybody is doing a podcast. (laughs) So who knows what this thing is doing or where it's going out there in the universe. But my intention, my desire was just that I wanted to talk. I wanted to make contact with people. Um, And so when I started out in the beginning, I was, uh, you know, I had like conversations, workshops with a network about how to strategize my marketing, uh, my reach. I was told, for example, you know, you should invite people on your show who can bring their own big following. And that's how you can generate uh, ratings and increase your audience. Or invite guests who can either offer financial sponsorship uh, or information that the listeners uh, would value or products that uh, they would want to buy. Uh, I was also told to do social media, you know, uh, to, to post frequently to establish my presence. And again, I, I was completely discombobulated. Like, what kind of presence would I, could I establish by posting frequently? Um, what kind of presence do you, I'm asking you, please let me know, do people get from the presence that is established through frequent postings? All you do is make a mark on, on, on the, the footprint on the internet. Do you, make, do you mark any human being by posting frequently? I don't think so. I don't think that our our human brain and our human soul uh, has been so rewired as to be impacted upon by the presence of frequent postings. That's still my faith. 
I was told to do social media and, and, and to work on my branding, my brand, branding. Branding, you know, that concept, that practice of branding, that's the ultimate indice of the ethos of commodification, of this mindset of opportunism. I'm told these days that uh, in order to have a successful business, a successful anything, we all have to find a niche and brand ourselves. Strive for the point where you can say to another person, this is what I do. This is what I am. This is exactly, predictably, controllably what you will get if you spend your time and money and attention on me. This is my brand. Horror to me. In America, the very first question that people ask you is, what do you do for a living? Just a parenthesis, you know, if you wonder why this country is becoming so exhausted and so impoverished emotionally, spiritually, you know why by looking through or looking at this question, this this instinctive, fundamental question that we ask as a way of um, situated, locating, of, of, of marking another person. What do you do for a living? We're defined in this country by what we do for a living. And we're only permitted to announce who we are in this life to people in this country by revealing the means with which we make money. So I say, because I don't know anything else, I say I'm a psychologist. That's how I make my living, too. And always, the next question that I get is, what do you specialize in? And now, again, that gets me into such a state. (laughs) Um, I'm usually kind of... uh, I think an easygoing person, but there are a couple of questions that just get me completely um, in the tizzy. One is, you know, will you add me to your network? And the other one is, what do you specialize in? Just like I get into a state. Also, there's another question when people ask, you know, where are you from? (laughs) Because, you know, what the hell do I say? Vietnam? France? I'm from America? uh, Or Brooklyn? Um, Anyway, so the question of what do you specialize in, it gets me. Because, first of all, I, I panic. You know, am I supposed to specialize? And whatever I say, you know, is inevitably so false, so incomplete, because it then leaves out everything else that I do, that I know, that I cherish about the people that I work with. And also potential uh, clients often ask me, you know, when they call up, do you work with people who have severe anxiety? Uh, Do you work with people who have relationship issues? Do you do eating disorder? Uh, Whatever I say about what I do, about my so-called specialization, would feel to me dehumanizing, because I feel that it would reduce people to a category. It reduces to a disorder the multiple lives and universes of humanity that I have encountered. And it reduces me to a commodity. And never mind that if I answer the question, 
in that that people ask me about do you do you do anxiety if i answer that question in that way i would then tacitly agree to take the person to meet the person as a disorder as a commodity as well and i don't want to do that you can tell right that this doesn't help my networking or 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 marketing or branding well fuck it I now just say that I specialize in in life. How about that? (laughs) It's very grandiose. I say that I work with humans who try to figure out how to live. And that gets often an anxious, embarrassed laugh. One person even says to me last week, fine. So you don't want to tell me, fine. And then we move on. Um, On on this radio show, you know, I ask people to engage in the questions of, What makes your life worth living? What makes you human? What have you learned about being human? I asked them, in other words, not for a commodity, a piece of knowledge. I don't want to treat them as such. But I asked them to give me a piece of themselves, a piece of their living, of their being. Now, everybody at first freaked out. Some people even backed out of the invitation. But then when we did talk, the guest and I, we made contact with something in each other. And that contact altered a little something in each of us. And even though we then went on our separate ways, some of us probably would never see one another again. We took a piece of the other person with us. And that piece will live on in us in some way, some mysterious way. And that piece may also be transferred, imparted to other people later on along the way, and so on and so forth. And that is how the connective tissue among us lives on. I wish to um, share with you an anecdote. This was my first encounter with what I call pseudo-curiosity, and actually my first taste of being commodified. It happened in America. I started out my psychoanalytic training at NYU. And, you know, the very first few months, it was a lot of meet and greet and, you know, going to uh, uh, talks and presentations and uh, tea and so on. So I had conversations, you know, I was milling around talking to various faculty And uh, one person got into a long conversation with me. And then she said, you know, how did you get to NYU from Vietnam? I cannot imagine. It must have been so traumatizing. You must have a great story to tell. Tell me about it. How did you get from to NYU from Vietnam? That is not a real question, is it? You're not asking me, really. To reveal myself, you just want to collect the great story, the, the, the thing, the commodity that would make me interesting and that maybe would interest you. you. And also, you know, I cannot imagine, huh, I badly, so badly wanted to say to her, well, try, <laughs> you know, because when you say that, you're mostly announcing to me the limits of your imagination. You're not really trying to reach into my world, into my truth. When you say, how did that happen? How did you get through that? I cannot imagine. You mainly want me to know about the boundaries of your 
world, about the limits of your life's experiences. So I pushed back and she ended up, you know, talking to me about her vacations and her trip to Vietnam and still ongoing connection with a dealer there who sent her great pieces of marble um, that she would use for the lobby and waiting room of her office. Yes, imagine that. Imagine what else can come out of Vietnam other than extraordinarily beautiful marble that you can have for an extraordinarily cheap price. I get that often, you know, how did you get here? So do some of my patients whose um, history is unusual or who are known to have gone through something extraordinary. The, the, the curiosity in that question, how did you get here? The curiosity is limited in its scope and longing because it only seeks to capture the, the procedural, the, the mechanistic or functional or utilitarian how. It asks for the commodity of the story of my so-called trauma. It does not dare to reach for the whole, the deep, the unfathomable being of me or of anyone. You know, that faculty uh, wanted to expand the bounds of her life experiences, of, of the stories of how, maybe to add to her knowledge or maybe even her expertise, her clinical expertise, in the way that, you know, they go travel to Egypt or China or Italy to acquire art and knowledge and experience so that you can then safely go back and maybe apply these acquisitions toward building a rich, interesting life or a successful, interesting, effective practice. But what does that do? What, what, what does that have to do with making contact with another human being? What can I say about how I got to NYU from Vietnam? What does the question reach for? I got here thanks to the fucked up foreign policy of your country. Do I say that? Or do I say I, I, I went with my mother on a boat? Or should I tell you about the refugee resettlement policy by the UNHCR back then with the boat people in Malaysia? That's how I got here. Or I got here on scholarship, <laughs> you know. Or I got to you, people at NYU, because I was searching for a way to make sense of my humanity. And I thought that psychoanalysis would be that support. What do I say? What do you want to know? And why don't you want to know about who I am? Why don't you go further in your curiosity and reveal a little bit about how you wish to be altered by me? How you wish to connect with me at a deep level? How you wish to be known, even loved or supported by me? Or tell me about how you imagine my life, my humanity, how you imagine it could intersect with yours. Or let me know about what thus far has been touched off in you from being with me and think and feel and be with me about where you wish to go with me in our connection or go into yourself. Give me more of yourself. Allow yourself more imagination and ambition in what you want to ask of me. 
go beyond merely seeking the commodity of my specialty, of my special life history, of my special expert knowledge about trauma or immigration or what have you. You know, I flip out at these encounters where I'm the exotic commodity. And by the way, that is how I earned the reputation in some circles of being traumatized and intense. There's my brand. (laughs) How about that? Yes, that's my brand. I got branded as intense and traumatized. So... What I'm trying to say to you is this, that that the curiosity that we permit to ourselves, the imagination that we allow ourselves to have vis-a-vis the other person, that is the portal, the bridge, the connection to other human beings, the curiosity. And that can lead then to kindness and tenderness. I also want to repeat, by the way, again, my my faith, my, my credo, what I really believe in, what I wish I could scream back at anyone who seeks me out or who seeks out people with a quote-unquote unusual story to tell um, or a quote-unquote special expertise to share. I want to scream out to them, to you all out there, that every life is extraordinary if we look closely. Every life is worth cherishing and loving and saving. Every mind is worth listening to and getting to know, even the rotten ones like Donald Trump's, because we learn something and we make contact with something when we listen to another person's mind. Every person warns your curiosity, and should inspire your tenderness. Even Donald Trump, (laughs) because poor soul, he does need so much love and affirmation. And it's endless. And we're all paying the price for it, unfortunately. What is driving this culture of commodification? How come we cannot behold the sweet responsibility of being a friend and instead treat each other like opportunities. Um, Let me just take a break for now and I will take that up and share with you my thought when I come back. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com It's time to have a healthier relationship with money. Use it with purpose to create the life you envision. At Thinking Big Financial, your future starts right now. Services include financial planning and investment management. It's not just about the numbers. It's about how they fit into your life. Reach out to Jim to start thinking big about your own financial life. Because isn't it time? For more information, visit thinkingbigfinancial.com. That's thinkingbigfinancial.com. Do you ever feel that you need to make changes but don't know how? Ever wish for someone who can help you find true purpose and make new choices? 
Dr. Nguyen is this person. Her passion is to help people bridge the gap between where they are and where they want to be. With Dr. Nguyen, you will enter a conversation that is unlike any other. You will make contact with yourself at a depth you never thought you could. You will give yourself an encounter with new thoughts, deep questions, and a renewed faith in your birthright to live the life you are meant to live. Dr. Nguyen's practice has been available to people from all over the world, across cultures and identities. She has built it as a lighthouse and a safe haven to give the deep support and clarity so you can fulfill the promise that you once made to yourself to live your purpose. Whether you are in New York City or anywhere in the world, visit her at drleanne.com. You can also contact her for a free consultation in person or on Skype. The website again is drleanh.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to On Living. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to ldnewin.phd at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Here again is Dr. Leanne Nguyen. So, I want to ask with you the question of you know what what is behind this mindset of opportunism what is driving this culture of commodification that we live in what limits the curiosity that can drive us toward one another and help us love each other's beauty and mystery why do we stop at a very shallow, commodifying, easy place in our curiosity, in our connection. It's fear. And related to that, a deep sense of deprivation in every one of us in America. You know, the compulsion to get into the right opportunity, the drivenness to reach for the right outcome, the anxiety to find and master the right solution the right network, the right education, the right job, the right friendship, the right life, the right combination of medications, the right gluten-free, fat-free, wheat-free, carb-free, worry-free, friction-free diet. All of that speaks of the fear that you don't have what is necessary, that you don't have enough, that you don't know the answer, and worse, that you don't know how to handle the answer that you find out for yourself, about yourself, about your life, about people. It's a response, you know, this, this, this mindset of, of reaching for the right commodity, is a response to the moment when you are faced with this beast of life, this raging, unpredictable, uncontrollable river called life, and are terrified and uncertain about how to step into it. So we reach for the commodification impulse because we are terrified about how to step into life. Now, I say how, and I realize it's... Is a fallacy, is misleading. As if we have a choice, 
we are in it whenever whether we, we, we want to or not. But when we fall into the ideology of opportunism and take on the practice of commodification and buy into that, when we do that, we sidestep the fear as well as the thrills. We sidestep the task of charting our own course and practicing our own steps. And if you have been listening to me on this show, that is how we forge our humanity, the task, the commitment to chart our own course. The wounds, the answers, the light that enters through the wounds, the questions that put us on the quest, that we each on, that we each take on in our life. That is our humanity, our individuality. <clears throat> I, I I kind of I crack up um, when I see workshops or books or shows that advertise, you know, for things like the steps to living your best. You know, here's how you find your true self. Come to the workshop, enroll in the program, and you will find the answer, the right way to blah blah blah. It's like um, orthodontics for the psyche. Um, my, my daughter is told that, you know, she needs to get braces. Everybody needs braces if there's one thing out of place. So it's like, you know, orthodontics for the psyche because everybody, just as everybody's promised or actually is like forced into having perfect teeth uh, and everybody will die with perfect teeth that look perfectly the same, <laughs> you know. We're doing the same, right, with living, you know. Actually, I just love that term. I just came up with that myself, orthodontics for the psyche, hashtag that. What about, so speaking of perfect teeth and teeth that look perfectly the same because, you know, all the dentists come from the same school anyway, what about learning to chew, to taste, to bite into the offerings of life? Where do you go for that? What's the recommend, recommendation when you go to the dentist for that, when you go to the psychologist for that? We live in fear of not having the right tools, of not having the right answer, of not being able to make it of not having enough. There is fear everywhere in this culture, everywhere I look, everywhere I walk. We also live in fear of not being able to survive what other people can do to us, of not being able to deal with what life can bring to our doorstep, of not being able to handle the place where we may land in life if we were to take an unplanned, untested, unprescribed unreviewed turn on the road. No wonder GPS, you know, is the rage. I'm just like, I'm fantasizing, you know, about a a Hollywood science fiction movie where our entire species is wiped out because GPS and Google are erased, are disconnected. (laughs) You know, imagine what would happen. We won't survive for more than a week. The way that we're going, that is all that it will take, you know, no need for any alien force or, 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 or uh, a mysterious virus. Just take away the prescribed answer, the prescribed route, and we will all perish of fear and panic. Basically, we live in fear of life. That's why we need commodification. Because life is is a mystery, it's a beast, it's a fairy, it's wondrous in its gifts, and it's ruthless in its blows. But fundamentally, 
Ultimately, it is unpredictable, uncontrollable, and invincible. That's what all the how-to books, though, are trying to reassure you that there is a way to sidestep that beast. And we also live in fear of each other, not in awe or in curiosity, but in fear, not in gratitude or tenderness towards the life in other people, but in contempt, in envy or indifference towards their being and their woundedness. When we reach for another human being, it is usually not with kindness and tenderness, but it is with fear. We reach for the commodity of that person's knowledge or way of living. We don't want to be surprised or split open or humbled by the mystery or the beauty of that person. We pray Instead, for the confirmation that we are not helpless, not fallible, not vulnerable, not undesirable. For the confirmation that we have the right answer and the right recipe. What is being peddled to us now is that life can be mastered and domesticated and commodified. Do this And you can ride the beast in the right way to the right destination and collect the right prizes and accessories along the way. Do this and you won't be surprised or defeated. Do this and life won't kill you, won't touch you. Do this and you will be superhuman. Don't do this and you will be defeated, shut out, deprived. Don't. And you will not find love. You will not find the right job, the right life. Don't do this and you will die. And so we do. And so we look outward to life and other people for opportunities so that we can make it in the right way. And in so doing, we feed the fear and we feed the deep deprivation the deep deprivation for connection, because that is what I see everywhere and in my practice as well. And so we spurn in in running after the right answer, after the right so-called connection on social media or in networking or whatever. In so doing, we spurn the thing that feeds us, that saves us, that teaches us, which is our humanity each other, and life itself. And life is not a thing. It cannot be reduced to a thing, and neither can be people. We would be able to access that precious thing called our humanity if only we would have the courage to approach these offerings with curiosity and tenderness and kindness which, as I have said before in previous hours, do take a lot of practice and commitment, though. Um, as, as a shrink, you know, I in my clinical work, I used to ask incoming referrals the standard clinical question of, what is the problem? What are you struggling with? This was before. And in doing that, I expressed my interest in the person's pain and suffering. I demonstrated my expertise in dealing with pathology 
and I announced my intention, my commitment to the work of repairing, you know, what had been derailed and broken. But now I'm more in awe of the longings and strivings of the human heart, of what Chekhov calls the glint of light that shines off the shards of broken glass. I'm also more brave and more humbled at the same time in recognizing the love and the responsibility that we can have toward each other's strivings. And I'm more ambitious in my curiosity and tenderness. So I ask instead nowadays, what are you trying to do for yourself with your life that you cannot do alone, that you need me for? How do you plan on making use of me to get you to where you long to be? And I do kind of get in, into some trouble. I'm told, you know, that's not therapy. What, would, what about dealing with your patient's symptoms? What about the responsibility of helping them, you know, with their depression or anxiety? That makes me sound like you just want to be uh, a support or their friend. Well, <clears throat> my teachers now are Rumi, Rilke, Gibran, Siddhartha, Chekhov, and life itself. And people also. So you are damn right. I'm not doing traditional psychotherapy. I want to offer my support. I want to take on the sweet responsibility of being a friend. I intend to discover how my patients, my clients, let delight enter into their wounds and want to practice kindness and offer my tenderness towards that light of theirs. I want to offer my curiosity and kindle their curiosity and connect with their humanity and in so doing help them connect with their own humanity. You're damn right. I don't want to make my job just about treating depression and anxiety. You know, my job now, as I see it, is to confirm for people their need for connection and give support to their faith in that connection by offering the kind of of space and, and a way of being where we can make deep contact, where we can truly connect with each other's humanity and ask truly deep questions. My job as I see it now, is not to reassure people that life can be great or promise that they can be great or ensure that they will be okay, but to give them support by confirming that life is worth living, that their life is worth living, and that they deserve tenderness and kindness in living that life. And I see my job as as confronting them also with the responsibility that they have toward themselves and their neighbors to ask the kind of questions that allow them to claim and deepen their humanity. So basically, I see my offering as providing a resource and a support for people's effort in staying human. It's the best thing that we can be is also a damn difficult thing to do, and we need to support. We need to support each other, and we have a sweet responsibility towards one another in that effort. We have come to the end of this hour. I have one more with you next week, and then I'm done. So I want to spend that last hour to tell you more um, about therapy, about what I do for a living. (laughs) I will want to lay out for you, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly of of, of therapy. Uh, Talk to you about the ways in which I think it is a, a resource towards being human, but also the ways in which I think it fails 
the sweet responsibility of human friendship. That will be uh, my sign-off. And uh, so I look forward to connecting with you again for that one last call. Be well until then. Thank you for tuning to On Living, the trauma and beauty of being human. Please join Dr. Leanne Nguyen again next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And enjoy being alive.